as you know, we're in a series uh, of resurrection stories, which is pretty cool. So, and it's a series of uh, encounters that the resurrected Jesus has with people, uh, some of his early followers, uh, Mary, some of the early disciples. Last week we looked at Thomas. This week we'll look at Jesus' encounter with Peter. Uh, before we get into that, just a little housekeeping. As you know, we, or maybe you know, last week I told you the church is upgraded to a big cell phone here. You can text us questions. Um, this is not a phone that you can phone. I mean, you can, but nobody will pick it up. So it's just a chance if you want, if you have questions along the way during the sermon, you can scribble this number down, text it. Uh, it's anonymous in the sense of we don't, we're not cross-listing your number, like we don't know who you are. Uh, so if, unless you put your name in there, we probably won't know who the text is from, which is fine. Um, and uh, as I said, we'll try and address questions as they come in whatever form seems appropriate uh, based on the question. So let's talk about epic fails for a moment. Epic failures. So if you Google epic fails, it turns out there's a lot of material. Uh, who knew? Uh, like you get like a, just a rabbit hole of like YouTube videos of like bad drivers and people like doing skateboard accidents and stuff and all kinds of stuff. I really had to limit my research this week. <laughs> you could spend like days just reading about epic fails. But here's two that I'd like to uh, present to you uh, that I came across. Epic fail number one, domino toppling. <laughs> The goal was to set up four million dominoes and then knock them all over. Each one representing seconds of precious time those involved will never, ever get back. (laughs) Okay, four million dominoes requires a very large building. In this case, a Dutch convention center. Like any large building, it's possible for animals to get inside from time to time. Oh yeah, you know where this is going. A sparrow flew into the building during setup. And while it did not, did not knock over four million, of the do, or four million dominoes, it did knock over 23,000 of them. Little did the sparrow know that domino standing volunteers, usually a passive and meek bunch, are quick to anger when their hard work is toppled prematurely. They cornered the bird and shot it, presumably knocking over countless more dominoes in their blind rage. Their brutal vigilante justice quickly backfired when they learned that the one thing Dutch love more than record-breaking dominoes are cute birds. Animal rights groups threatened to investigate a tribute website for the sparrow was set up, and contests were announced to reward anyone who managed to, managed to further attempt, uh, further to damage the attempt. The television station that was broadcasting the affair even started to re- receive personal threats. <laughs> likely in the form of photographs of knocked-over dominoes. Oh, and did we mention that the bird they shot was endangered? (laughs) That kind of set people off, too. (laughs) Epic fail. Epic fail number two. Smurfing. To assemble as many people dressed and painted as Smurfs as possible, proving, well, you know, um, well, we're not sure exactly what this is supposed to prove. This event was actually quite well organized, but those in charge forgot one key step, figuring out what the old record was. (laughs) Thinking that the previous largest number of Smurf-clad adults gathered in one place couldn't have been higher than, say, one, 395 Croats, all of them apparently with Smurf costumes handy, assembled and waited to enter um, 
the, uh, to enter the pointless world record history book. Unfortunately for the group, 451 students from Warwick University had beaten to them to it the previous year, rendering their accomplishment somehow even sadder than it already was. We're curious as to the exact point in time these people learned that they'd failed. Was it when they'd thrown their funny little hats in the air, joyously celebrating what they thought was a victory for the entire nation of Croatia? Or had Guinness informed them at the start and they decided to forge ahead anyway, truly capturing the spirit of what Smurfs stand for? Either way, the attempt was no doubt an emotional roller coaster from start to finish. Epic fail. Let me read you another epic fail story. This one's perhaps also familiar to you, or maybe more familiar to you than smurfing. Simon Peter, another disciple following, uh, uh, and another disciple were following Jesus. Because this disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. This is the night of Jesus, night before Jesus' crucifixion. But Peter had to wait outside the door. The other disciple, who was known to the high priest, came back and spoke to the servant girl on duty, and they brought Peter in. Hey, you aren't one of the man's disciples, are you? The girl asked. No, I'm not, Peter replied. It was cold, and the servants and officials stood around the fire they'd made to keep warm, and Peter was standing around them warming himself. And while Peter was still standing there warming himself, they asked him again, hey, Aren't you one of his disciples too? You are, aren't you? I am not, he denied. Then one of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man that Peter had cut his ear off, uh, hard to hide from that, I guess, but uh, challenged him. No, hey, didn't I see you with him in the garden? Again, Peter denied it, and at that moment, the rooster began to crow. Epic fail. The last story is not as humorous as dressing up like Smurfs or domino toppling. It's a story of a person who uh, had committed himself to Jesus and then failed to follow through on that commitment. And it's easy to judge Peter, right? We kind of go, ah, Peter, you know, always shooting your mouth off, always saying stuff, always, you know, thinking you'll do more than you will. Um, And we think maybe we'd act different, which is exactly actually what Peter thought. If you read earlier on in the gospel, he says, hey, Jesus, if all of them deny you, I won't. Right? Peter had that view of himself, the very same thing we might be thinking. Ah, Peter, I would have done that different. Is precisely what Peter thought, that he would have done it different. If we're honest, I think, more honest, I think we can all find ourselves in this story. We've all likely have stories where we've let someone down. Maybe a spouse, maybe a friend. Maybe, I don't know, people in your life. Uh, One of my big regrets, and I'll share it, I've shared it with a number of you, one of my big regrets in terms of my pastoral work um, is the way that Varsity at Night ended. Uh, So I was pastoring a Saturday night community, and that ended, um, and it was... I. I was part of that decision, and it hurt people. Uh, Some of them were, many of them were my friends. And I didn't mean to hurt them. That wasn't the intent. Uh, It just was, I could have done it a lot better, or my part of it could have been done a lot better. 
and I've lost a lot of sleep over that over the years. Uh, I've worked through it. I've gone back and apologized to numerous people. Um, I had to own that. I let people down, actually. And so I'm actually, I think of myself as Peter. I've, I've, I've not stepped up at times. Or perhaps you can think of a, a time where you've fallen short in your commitment to Christ, in your following of Jesus. And you think, wow, what I just did is so inconsistent with following Jesus. And I don't know, I don't need to enumerate what those things might look like and what they might be. Uh, But I think if we're honest, we can find ourselves in the story. We can recognize there's been moments in our lives that have been epic fails. They just haven't, we just haven't risen to the moment. We haven't actually followed through on a commitment. There's things that we wish we could have done, should have done, didn't do. Or things we did do that you kind of afterwards you think, oh man, what was it, what was that? Okay, and I'm not trying to discourage you. I just want to place you in the story. Uh, that Peter, uh, who thought he was above the rest, turns out he wasn't. I'm actually, turns out I'm not above the rest either. I too fail, as do you, I think, probably at times. And we've got to live with that. But the story takes a turn. And this is what I want to focus on, is the resurrection appearance to Peter. And so this is sometime after the resurrection, before the ascension of Jesus. In that period of time, about 40 days, Jesus appears to his disciples numerous times. And I want you to hear this story as Jesus appears to Peter, the Peter who had failed him badly, even though he said he wouldn't. So this is reading from John chapter 21, starting in at verse 15. When they'd finished eating, so they just had been gathering on the, on the beach having a breakfast. It's a pretty cool story, actually, but I'm glossing over that story to focus on this part. So they'd finished eating breakfast. Jesus says to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, you, you know that I love you. Well, then feed my lambs, Jesus said. And again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. A third time, he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Oh, Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And then Jesus said, well, feed my sheep. Truly, very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. This is the word of the Lord. Let me just say a few things uh, about this text and then focus on one thing in particular, but just a couple broad comments here. Um, notice that Jesus says three times. He asked the question three times, right? I, I just previously read the story of Peter denying Jesus three times, so it's not accidental that Jesus repeats the question, do you love me, three times, right? That's, that's, make that connection. Three times Jesus says, or Peter says, oh, I don't know Jesus, 
Three times Jesus is saying, do you love me? Right? It's a gentle um, rebuke, but it's gentle. Okay? What you don't see in Jesus at all in this interchange is any hint of shame or shaming Peter. There's no anger. There's no bitterness. There's no criticism. It's just a gentle, hey, do you love me? And notice that he even, there's a sort of a, he's poking at, at Peter's pride or hubris. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Previously, John had, or Peter had said that, that exact thing. Hey, if all of these guys fall away, <laughs> I certainly won't. Here you have Jesus just, just calling that out. Do you, do you actually love me more than these guys? And notice Peter's answer is not, no, I love you more than that, these guys. He just says, you know that I love you. Right? Peter's already beginning to be shaped by his failure or allowing God to shape his failure is a better way of saying that. Let me show you just four things that go on in this text. We'll put this slide up and let me walk you through it. There's, they're not all imperatives. There's a question, an imperative, um, a statement, and another imperative or command. So do you love me is the question. Then Jesus will say, feed my sheep. Uh, then he'll give this little interchange about others will lead you where you don't want to go. And then the last statement there is follow me. What I want you to notice here, if you look at the red writing, is that the first question and the last statement, the imperative, are primary calls. Do you love me? Follow me. Those secondary calls, when I say secondary, I don't mean like unimportant. I mean they, are, um, they, they flow from the primary call. Do you love me? Well, if you love me, feed my sheep. And if you feed my sheep, likely other people are going to, like, life is going to play out a certain way for you. Oh, by the way, follow me. And what I want you to see is the way that we love, or the way that Peter's called to love Jesus is by following. There's a, there's a reciprocal nature. That's what the blue circle is trying to represent. We can say that we love Jesus as a statement but it actually has to translate to action, following. That, that is the tangible way that we love Jesus is by following where he's going. All right? There's numerous places in the Gospel of John where Jesus will say, if you love me, you will obey my commands. You will follow me. All right? So these, these two, do you love me and follow me, bracket Peter's specific call. And in Peter's specific call to feed the sheep, to shepherd the flock, and then to, um, you know, most commentators will see this as, as a, um, you know, others will lead you where you don't want to go as um, a, a foretaste of, or a, Jesus kind of predicting, okay, you're going to be crucified, right? To, you're going to have your arms stretched out. And church tradition will say that Peter was crucified, upside down, actually. Um, those secondary calls come out of the primary call, which is relationship, to enter into relationship with Jesus. Do you love me? Follow me. They're relational calls to be in relationship with Jesus, to be with Jesus, right? If you think back to our rule of life, to be with Jesus and allow Jesus to shape us, then out of that comes do what Jesus did. Feed my sheep and go where maybe others will lead you. All right, do you see that? So I just walk you through that part of the text. But let me zero in on a piece that I find curious here in the text, and it's this. 
is, and, and this is the first part of this good news, but let's kind of unpack it a bit. The good news is this, is that failure, Peter's failure in this case, didn't eliminate him from community. Jesus seemed quite happy to walk with him on the beach. And uh, those of you who have uh, Bibles that have the little subheadings that are um, added by editors, uh, Jesus reinstates Peter is what this section's called in, in my NIV here. Uh, Jesus seems quite happy to bring him back into the fold, say, hey, uh, you know, love me, follow me, feed my sheep. Um, So failure doesn't eliminate you from the community of faith, but it can. Okay, it can. I'm curious here about the difference between Judas and Peter. Right? Both of these guys failed Jesus pretty badly the night that he was, night before he was crucified. But then their paths diverge fairly significantly. Uh, Jesus, uh, Peter's walking on the beach with Jesus. Judas is lying dead in a field. But they both failed. So how is it that their paths just kind of went like radically different directions? Um, what's that about? And you could argue that, well, you know, betrayal's worse than denial and, you know, so Judas sins way worse and... Maybe. I, I'm not convinced by that, though. Um, they're, they're both forms of failure, I think. Um, but it got me thinking about other people. Uh, so let's pick up this story, Saul and David. King Saul, King David in the Old Testament. Um, and their roads diverge significantly as well. Uh, God rejects Saul and chooses David. Um, and it might be because David's you know, got this sculpted look to him, I, but I doubt it. <laughs> it's curious if you read the text that Samuel, or sorry, Saul is rejected for failing to wait for Samuel to show up to offer some prayers and sacrifice, which clearly was a big deal, but you're kind of like, huh, because David was an adulterer and a murderer. And you're sort of like, what? (laughs) Like, Saul doesn't wait for Samuel to show up to pray and gets rejected, and God chooses David, who had significant flaws. So again, I think it's maybe not the quality or the quantity, perhaps, even of sin that's at play here. Uh, God's grace is very big, and it seems to me what changes the trajectory is owning the failure. Admitting to the truth and allowing God to shape us through it. Owning the failure. Think of David's story, right? When um, he commits adultery with Bathsheba and then arranges for her husband to be essentially assassinated. Um, And then he's confronted by the prophet Nathan. It's all in 2 Samuel 11, 12, right in there. And then out of that experience, he writes Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassions, blot out my transgressions. Wash away my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. You know my transgressions. My sin's always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned. And I've done what is evil in your sight. So you're right when you judge. You're right in your verdict. You're justified when you judge. Cleanse me. 
Create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit in me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Right? Do you hear that? Like he's, he's owning it. He's not, he recognizes he's fallen and fallen badly. And where he takes that failure is before God. And he just brings it before God, says, God, I've sinned. I have blown it. I have failed. And God, I think, somehow takes that. There are consequences to his sin. If you continue to read that, the story, there's all kinds of fracture in David's family because of his actions. That doesn't quite go away. But the text is pretty clear that God uses David, continues to use David, actually. And Saul, well, his life ends pretty badly. Or go back to Peter and Judas. It's a little harder to to pick up in the actual story, but consider that Peter, the one who failed Jesus, and then the one who walks on the beach with Jesus and hears Jesus' words to him, goes on later in, in, in his life to write a letter to the churches um, spread across Asia, really. Listen to what he says. Just in the opening verses, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect exiles scattered across the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, and on and on, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Christ, sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. What he's saying to the church there is, look, you've been chosen. But he's writing that as one who has been chosen. Right? Jesus chose him. Jesus continued to choose him. And he goes on, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He's not just writing words. He's writing what he's experienced. He's experienced that living hope, that new birth. That's what's going on on the beach that morning. Peter sees himself as an epic failure. Jesus comes along and invites him back into relationship. And over time, that failure is is shaped, reshaped by God. Peter is reshaped by God. And he goes on to lead the church and in this case, write a letter to church communities spread across Asia, reminding them of God's great mercy because he has experienced God's great mercy. The biblical term for all of this, I think, is confession. A practice that in the evangelical church perhaps has fallen on hard times. Um, There is the practice of, or the sacrament even, of confession in the Roman Catholic Church. Um, But in our church circles, we don't really practice confession. But that's what I'm poking at here a little bit this morning and in this story. And I propose, uh, maybe a modest proposal, but I propose that we maybe find ways to recover this practice. Uh, Listen to the words of James. I'll just read it from the screen here, so you'll see it on the screen as well. Is any of you in trouble? I think that's rhetorical. We can probably all say yes. Let them pray. 
If any ha- is anyone happy, let them sing songs of praise. If any of you sick, let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well, and the Lord will raise them up. And if they've sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. It's pretty clear in the book of James that there's an instruction here uh, to confess to one another, to confess our failures, our struggles, the places where we've let people down, we've let ourselves down, we've let God down, to confess that, to own it. Not in shame. Or at least we bring that shame before God, but also maybe before another. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. And so when I suggest a modest proposal to reclaim this practice, I'm not really imagining setting up a microphone here and having you all line up and confess your sins in this kind of context. That's not really what I have in mind. Uh, I, I have seen that sort of practiced, and I'm, I'm not sure that's really even what James is poking at. What I'm more imagining is, do you have one or two Christian friends with whom you can be honest, profoundly honest, authentic. It's one of our values in Varsity Bible Church. We value authenticity being who we really are. Do you have people like that in your life? And maybe look them up this week or in the coming weeks and have some really deep conversation with them and just open up your heart. Like, choose those friends carefully, friends. You're opening up your soul to them. But I think if I hear this text, it is an invitation to confess. Well, who do you confess to? And my suggestion to you is confess to a friend you can trust. Okay? Find those people. And and you may not have those people as you reflect on it. So then think, well, how do I develop those people? How do I begin to develop a friendship that we build the kind of trust that in maybe five or six months I can have these kind of conversations. You can be just brutally open and honest with. The way that Jesus and Peter walk on the beach together. Do you love me? Follow me. You've, you know, implied in that it's you've failed. But let me help you pick up the pieces. Let's try again. Let's walk together again. So we're going to practice this this morning. Now, before you all freak out and run out the door, what I, again, I don't mean you're going to turn to your neighbor and confess something. I'm not suggesting that at all. It's going to be far more in, in, individual this morning. Um, I'm just going to invite you to maybe confess to God. Uh, there's paper there. If you want to write something down, you don't have to. Uh, but there's paper on your seats Um, and I'm going to invite you to just take some time. The band will come up. They'll play some music, uh, and we're just going to give you a couple minutes to just write some things down or or silently even just to confess some of the places in your life where you feel like, oh, man, I carry this failure. I carry this shame. I carry this brokenness. I carry this guilt. Just do what David did. Do what Peter did. Bring it before God.
And let him transform you. Let him shape you. Let him hold you. And so I just invite you to do that on your way out this morning. We have a prayer wall back there. You can slip those in if you write something down. If you want to keep it anonymous, just don't put your name on it. You can slip it in the prayer wall. Um, There'll be people who will pray for you this week. And then I would say, uh, I mean, that's what we'll practice here. But again, the invitation is to extend beyond here and to find one or two people, uh, one maybe, with whom you can gather and just share. Walk, I mean, we don't live too close to a beach. Uh, Walk in a park. Um, Walk down by the river. But have that kind of walk like Jesus did with Peter. Put your arm around someone. Walk with them. So let me pray. Hand off to these guys. Just take some time to just, it's time of confession between you and God. That's what we're offering. And then we'll move right into communion after that. But God, I thank you for this story. These resurrection stories have been so deeply encouraging to me. And I pray that they've been that way to the varsity community here. That you met Mary in her confusion. You met Thomas in his doubt. You met Peter in his failure. And you meet me in all of those places. So help us, God, to just bring before you the things that we carry that are heavy. That perhaps we feel guilt around or we feel shame attached to. Help us to bring them openly and honestly before you this morning to confess, to take that road, the road that leads to renewed relationship with Jesus who desires to walk with us. Come, Lord Jesus, we pray.